about, talk a little bit about Purim. This year is dedicated in memory of Ophir Agassi, Sichrono Levracha, who died tragically recently. This year is dedicated by his loving family. You know, yesterday we were able to perform the mitzvah of Zichirat Amalek, of mentioning, of remembering. Torah says, remember what Amalek did. And the way that we remember it is by reading those psukim in the Sefer Torah, in the book of Torah, the Torah scroll. And we listen carefully to make sure that we get all of the words. And we do this every year. And that's how we remember. But if you look carefully at that parasha, and here it is on the sheet, the Varim Perikavei. First thing it says is Zachor like you should remember. Okay, Chazal said memory lasts about a year. So it makes sense to say to remember, right, in a kind of a physical way, to remember what Amalek did. Remember what Amalek did when you left Mitzrayim. You remember that the at the end of the parasha, Parashah B'Shalach tells the story of Amalek running to conquer the Jews or defeat them in battle, and they were not successful. They were not successful, but they were the first to try to destroy Am Yisrael. Now, if you look at the uh, Pasuk Yutet, it says, Vaya, Vaya, Pasuk Yutet. How you see it? Vaya ba'aniyach, Hashem lekecha, lecha mikol oivecha misaviv. There is this idea that when you come to a state of peace, Ba'aretz, you come to Eretz Yisrael, and you achieve some kind of stability, peace. That's called peace in our world. And you know that it's God who bestowed this peaceful situation upon you. An inheritance, it's yours, it's your land, you inherit it. is what it says. Wipe out the memory of Amalek. Wipe out the memory of Amalek. But what should we do? Remember or hype out the memory? It's hard to know what exactly we should do under the, the heavens. Rashi explaining Timchad Zecher Amalek, right? Timchad Zecher Amalek. 
here it is. Timchet Zechra Amalek. May each v'adiksha man, woman, molel v'adyonek, a child, and a child that's being breastfed, a baby, mishor v'adzen, ox and a sheep. Shelo yehe shem amalek nizkar afilu ala behema. But you shouldn't even say Oh, that's Amalek's cow. Even that. This animal belonged to a well-known Amalek. So according to Rashi, Zecher Amalek means even the secondary remembrance, not the Amalek itself, but the animals of Amalek, just to say the name Amalek designating something or other seems to be. So I ask that question again. The Pasuk says, Right, remember, what did they do? They came upon you. They kind of chopped off the, the the slower ones, the lazier ones, the older ones in the group, and you were not ready for war. They were not afraid of or had fear of God. And what you should do again, remember Amalek in order to get rid of Zecher Amalek. How could that be? If you get rid of Zechra Amalek, then you don't remember Amalek. Then you don't remember Amalek. So we have this question. What is it that God really wants us to do? We know that today no one has been able to pinpoint Amalek as a, a, a genetic entity. But where are these Amalekites? I mean, they don't really exist. It's true that bad people do exist. And you can kind of say that one of the definitions of Malaika is a bad person. But we know that's not quite the case because in the Torah, there are several stories. In the Tanakh, there are more than several stories about the about the fact that Amalek was a real entity that B'nai Yisrael had to fight against, had to fight with uh, with this Amalek. Okay, there are a few uh, psukim, a few psukim that I'd like to uh, mention from Megillat Esther. Maybe they'll help us. Maybe they'll help us. First pasuk is Esther Perik Hey pasuk Gimel. Vayomela Hamelech. The king is talking to Esther Hamalka, and he comes up with this remarkable statement. This Malach Esther, what's with you? What are you doing, Malach Esther Hamalka? What is it you're kind of nervous about? I guess, right, Malach Esther Hamalka. 
ומה בקשתך? What is it you would like? I mean, after all, that's how the king was used to people petitioning him. And so here's Esther and Malka coming to petition him. You have a sheet? Should try it. Ma bakashatech? He says that chatzia malchut v'yitain lach. Now that sounds really. Here's Esther. She shows up. She has no power. Obviously, she's nervous about. Achashverosh's reaction. She hasn't been called for a long time to see him. I mean, what exactly is, you know, like, like here's uh, Achashverosh overwhelmed by the beauty of Esther Amalka. And he says to her, Ad Ask for anything you want. We have over a hundred companies in our uh, in our super company, I'll give you half. I'll give you half. I mean, of course, you know, in modernity, we use that phrase "at malchut" to mean I'm 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 receptive to your question. I'm receptive to thinking about what you want. Go ahead. But it doesn't mean that I'll give you half of my kingdom. It doesn't mean that. Couldn't mean that. I mean, what king is going to give away half of his kingdom to a young woman who has appeared before him, who has no power? So Rashi says, Rashi, kind of realizing that this was problematic, Rashi says, at chatziya malchut, at chatziya malchut. Something in the middle, chatziya malchut, chatziya malchut, chatziya malchut, who bait hamikdash. They started to build and rebuild the Beit HaMikdash in the days of Koresh. Koresh was Cyrus, the first Persian king who took over the Babylonian Empire. And, and Koresh, for some reason, changed his mind. This is all recorded in the book of Ezra. And and he said, "Levatel hamlacha b'achashverosh shamar acharav." Achashverosh was king of Persia after after Koresh. Shamar acharav, kam hu bitel hamlacha. Av hu bitel hamlacha. So in some way he says, Rashi says that Chatzia Malchut 
is not half of it, but the middle of it. And Bechatsi HaMalchut Hu Beit HaMikdash. Chatsi HaMalchut, the idea that there is a Chatsi HaMalchut, is Beit HaMikdash. So what he's saying to Esther is, oh, you want me to permit the rebuilding of the Beit HaMikdash? I'll do that. That's called that Chatsi HaMalchut. It could be also because, it could be because, um, you know, the tribes of Yehuda and Binyamin, they split the place of the Beit HaMikdash between them, the, the area, so that that could be a way of, of referring to that particular place, the place where the land somehow belonged both to Yehuda and Binyamin. But the Rashi doesn't say that. The Rashi doesn't say but he says uh, that the way Achashverosh understood what Esther was doing there, Esther was about to demand. I mean, obviously, they all came. They were all snorers when it came to Achashverosh. They all came to ask him for something. They all wanted some privilege for their state. So Achashverosh said, you, Esther, whatever you want, whatever you want, knowing knowing that she didn't have an army at her disposal, she was not about to re revolt, revolt. All of the all of her people, the Jews, were in foreign countries. They weren't a nation like the other nations. Because a Medina, a Medina had a structure, had a, a government had a bureaucracy and lived on those things. The, 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 the uh, idea that these people formed a nation that had a name and they probably sang some kind of song together. This is that, that was not Esther. She didn't have any of that. She didn't come from a state. So Achashverus said, oh, you probably want the Beit HaMikdash, which is a symbol of the state of the Jews that doesn't exist. The state just does not exist. So that's what Ad Chatsi HaMalchut, Chatsi HaMalchut means. Now I want to look at a few more psukim. The psukim at the end of Megillat Esther. The psukim at the end of, uh, of Megillat Esther and see what we can get out of them. All everything is wonderful, right? Mordechai is the smartest and Esther is the most beautiful. And the fighting is like, you know, they ask for another day of fighting because they haven't defeated the enemy enough. Imagine that. Imagine that. You just have to think about Ukraine. Vayishlach Svarim, the Pasuk says, Vayishlach Svarim b'kola Yehudim, Svarim. Svarim is like, 
Well, it's a word that has halachic inference. The halachic inference is that a sefer is usually a sefer Torah. And here they call these books that were sent, El Kola Yehudim, they call them Svarim. El Sheva Vesrimu Meya Medina, right? All the Medina that were under the control of the Persian king. Malchut Achashverosh. Malchut Achashverosh. His Malchut was made up of of Sheva Vesrimu Meya Medina. Okay, these are uh, these are difficult words, but we understand that they are words of great significance. Who is sending these words? Right, Mordechai, Esther. Right, the Reishalom veEmet lekayim. And what was the content of this farim? Lekayem et yemeha purim ha'elu bismanehem. Let's keep this holiday. Let's keep purim going. Let's assume that on the first year, they didn't need to be prodded on. They didn't need to be supported. It was clear. It was clear by Yeshlach Svarim El Kola Yehudim El Sheva Vesimuyam Medina Malchut Achashverosh the Brei Shalom Vemet. Where are these Yehudim? El Kol HaYehudim. They're 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 in all these other nations. They don't have their own their own place. Kasher Kiyam Alihem Mordechai Yehudim Esther Balka, as Mordechai and Esther led them. And told them how they should react. They kind of repeated again and again. Every year they repeated the Reds. They maintained the fast days and the days of crying out. And the words or the directive of Esther Kiyam Divreha Purim Ha'ele Vinichtav Basefer. Because first there was Purim and then there was Sefer. First there was Purim and then there was Sefer. Rashi says, Mamar Esther Kiyam. Esther. Esther the wise people of the generation, in order to establish the holiday and to write it in this book, Im Sha'ar Vim. It was written down with the other Sfarim. It became a Sefer. It became a Sefer and it's included in the Tanakh. This book, Begilat Esther, is included in the Tanakh, which again indicates I mean, what books were included in the Tanakh. Like the books that were written prophetically. 
books that were written by a prophet. Mishle, he's included, was written by Shlomo HaMelech. He was a prophet. Some books were written by Shmuel Anavi. He was a prophet. So that the, the criteria for including a book in the Tanakh was prophecy. And so Esther and Mordechai, here we're talking about Esther, Bamar Esther. It's something that uh, I guess Esther was also a prophetess and Mordechai was a prophet. Now the last, well, the last Perak in Megillat Esther, how summary, right? We had a, we had a summary there. I, I, I wouldn't know we don't know how it really happened, but the psukim tell us that there was an effort made. Mordechai and Esther said, we don't want to just celebrate our personal salvation, but we want to make it into a chag. What does that mean, make it into a chag? It means it, it has some ongoing meaning. There's something that is important about Esther. So that at the same time, because the Megillah of Esther is also the story of Haman, and Haman is called in Megillah Esther Agagi, and Agagi seems to be the same Agag as the king of Amalek. So you have at this, this time of the year two sorts of remembrances. We have the remembrance of of what the Amalekites did, what they stood for, how they did it. It's all in that in that parasha, and we have the the remembering of Esther and what happened. But yet, if we think about it. It's hard to know what exactly we're supposed to remember in either of these uh, in either of these cases, and that's what we would uh, that we will try. We will try to understand that here we are in the last chapter, the last chapter of Begilat Esther, Perikud, the tenth chapter, which has only three psukim in it, but those are three valuable psukim. First, pasuk Yasem Hamel Chashverosh. Hashverosh, Bas al Haaretz ayamim. It was from, I mean, this just says, from the point of view of Hashverosh, he also is part of the story. The point of view of Hashverosh, his interest is tax collecting. That's what he that he wants. So they had all the intrigues that took place. His discussions with Haman, his discussions with Esther, who's the right person for the job, the wrong person, what could Mordechai do to help him? Where's Bitton and Sheresh fit in? So we can summarize it as the Megillah summarizes. Having achieved some sort of stability having rid himself of potential enemies, two great potential enemies, Vashti, 
and Haman. And Haman also had a family. The family was kind of removed from the stage and everything went to Mordechai and Esther, who were the only ones who didn't have a nation, who didn't have territory, who were dispersed all over in every every nation, every every one of Hashverosh's nation. So he felt that he had created enough stability to be able to collect taxes from all of these entities. Now, Pasuk Bet, Pasuk Bet, Vichol, Maasei Tokvo, Gvura Tokvo, his strength, his power, Gvura, his, uh, his physical greatness, Parashat Gedulat Mordechai, and the story of the greatness of Mordechai, Asher Gidlo HaMelech, after all the king elevated him, right, that story, so, so again, there's Achashverosh, who became a great hero, although we, we are not sure that this heroic story about Achashverosh really happened. It's certainly not in the Megillah. And Parashat Gedulat Mordechai, Asher Gidlo HaMelech, Elohim Ketuvim, Al Sefer Devrei HaYamim LeMalchei Marai, Badai Uparas. They're written on the memoir book, of the, the, the book which records the activity of Malchei Madai Paras, the kings of Madai and Paras. And this sort of implies, again, it says, is Mordechai and Esther writing a book? And Achashverosh is writing a book. Of course, they're different books. Achashver is writing a book about tax collecting and how all of the nations are under his uh, conquest, his imagined conquest. All of those nations are part of his story. And the story is that they're all paying up, that he established or reestablished after the the death of the Babylonians or the Babylonian king and the Babylonian influence. So there are two stories, there are two books being written, the book of Chazverish and the book of Mordechai and Esther. And the book of Mordechai and Esther is going to tell a truer story, but it's the story of Mordechai and Esther. And so that's what it says in the Pasuk. If you look carefully at the Pasuk, it says, Parashat Gidulat Mordechai. Asher Gidlo HaMelech Alem Ketuvim Al-Sev Min Malchei Madai Paras. So the story of Mordechai and Esther is that Mordechai and Esther helped the king to create stability, which helped him to collect taxes. And the success or failure of, of an empire it was not uh, so much in conquering. I mean, in certain circumstances, it's easy enough to be a conqueror. But how do you maintain that conquest? How do you make sure that the people remain subjugated? 
I mean, it's hard to get your soldiers to kind of just camp out forever in the conquered land. They also want to go home. So there are two stories, the story that's written in the book of Esther and the story that's written in some other book, which we don't have, but we know that that story exists and that story could be, could be written. That story could be written. Third pasuk, right? Go up to the third pasuk. Says ki, ki Mordechai Yudi, Mordechai the Jew, Mishnele Melech Achashverosh. He was the second in command to King Achashverosh. Gadol Yehudim. He was a great man amongst the Jews. Veratzui lerov echav. Veratzui lerov most of the people, most of his brethren, found him a, uh, a a worthy occupant of that of that uh, seat. Doresh Tov he kind of made sure that there were good things that happened to his nation. The Dover Shalom the Kolzaron, he spoke of peace to all the all the nations. So. Rashi says, what do you mean? Ratsui Lerovechav. That he was accepted by most of his brethren. Rashi says, well, he just saved them. He, Mordechai, saved them from a terrible, from being part of a terrible disaster. He outsmarted Haman. He created a new order for the Jewish people who were dispersed in the Babylonian Empire. And here it says in the last Pasukha, the Megillah, it says, Ratsui Lerovechav, as though Rasarashi says, Lolakolachav? What do you mean? How can you say a thing like that? Ratsui Lerovechav. I mean, I, this could be this third, uh, this these three psukim could be psukim that were written in the Achashverosh book. But let's say no, that this is in the Esther and Mordechai book, and this is what Esther and Mordechai said, and this is what they felt, and this is how they understood it, and therefore Rashi says, Rashi says the Rovechav Lolekolechav. You see it? Underlined. Lamed Shapirshu Mimeno Mikzat Sanhedrin. That Mordechai lost favor with some of the members of the Sanhedrin. The Fisha Nasa Karov the Malchut. The Fisha Nasa Karov the Malchut. He became close to kingship. Wow, what a thing to say. What a thing to say that somehow Mordechai, who, as I said, Mordechai saved them. He was their leader. He was the one who was smart enough to do things that I imagine were really hard to do. 
were really hard to do. You mean that people looked at him and said, this is not the same Mordechai that we remember. This is not the same Mordechai who learned who learned Torah day and night, who dedicated himself to his people. No, because, <coughs> because as Rashi as Rashi said, some of the people of the Sanhedrin left him. They were not supportive of him. The vision because he became close to the king. And he did not learn as much Torah as he did on previous occasions. So assuming that this is the story of, of Mordechai and Esther, and this is the way the story of Mordechai and Esther ends, it leaves us with this with this question. I mean, if you see a terrible situation being uh, confronted or being constructed in the And the relationship between the Jews and the non-Jews, the Jews living in the diaspora, and you have to a choice between learning Torah and helping out the brethren. Apparently, is some point at which you have to consider the implications. It sounds like Mordechai. When I read the Megillah, it sounds to me like Mordechai was a hero, like he did a wonderful thing. And here, this one little Rashi at the end of the Megillah, I sort of like uh, wonder, what is Rashi talking about? What is he saying? What is he saying? So I want to go back to Zohar. I want to go back to Zohar and... uh, The mitzvah is Timchet Zecher Amalek. You see, Pasuk Yutet, Timchet, Zechra, Malek, Rashi says, men, women, children, babies, everything, you have to get to wipe them all out. They wipe them all out. So we know, we know that the first king in Israel, whose name was Shaul, the king that was the king before David HaMelech, the first king of Israel received the command to do away with the with the uh, Amalekites from the prophet Samuel Shmuel, who in fact was the one who anointed him king, was there was a certain dominance that Shmuel had over Shaul. Shaul did not accept the challenge. He did not do what he was instructed to do. So if you look at Shmuel Aleph, the next to the last, uh, Shmuel Aleph, he captured Agag, who was the king of Amalek. He captured him alive. And then he destroyed the entire nation of Amalek using his sword. 
kol ha'amecharim lefi charev. And then the pasuk said, this pasuk says, vayachmol sha'ul v'ha'am al ha'agag, and Shaul had mercy, Chemla. He had mercy. He and the people who with him had mercy on Agag and on the sheep and the bigger animals. Well, call out of all the good things below Abu Achrimam. They, they, they took the good stuff, they took the bad stuff, and they didn't do what they were supposed to do, which was to kill the Amalekites. They didn't kiss, kill. And I always wondered, I always wondered, you know, Vayachmol Shaul Vihaam Al Agag. Vayachmol, they had mercy. They had mercy on Agag. So you see, you know, they had mercy, and they should have had mercy. Mercy was unacceptable. And so eventually, Shaul was punished. His punishment was that he lost kingship. He lost the kingship. And Shmuel had to tell him that as well. When I look at the story as it's told in, in Shmuel, I wonder my, to myself, can I blame Shaul for possessing the midah of Chemla, of mercy? I mean, I mean, what it show? I mean, killing people was not so much a problem in those days, but he had mercy. Where did he learn the mercy from that he had? I think he learned it from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, the people built the golden calf. They deserve to be severely punished. Let's kill them all and we'll start over again. Moshe, you will be the father of a great nation. This was an opportunity for HaKadosh Baruch Hu to teach us, to teach us that Chemla sometimes overrides judgment. And so can we blame can we blame Shaul for having difficulty with the juxtaposition of Chemla, mercy, against Din, against judgment, against what the prophet told him? Guess what the prophet told him? That's what God said to us. He said, you should be destroyed. You are the Amalek. You built the golden calf. So what are we coming to speak ill of, of Shaul? Shaul said, I don't know what to do. 
I feel, I feel the mercy in me spreads even to Agag, even to Amalek. I can't do it. I can't do what HaKadosh Baruch Hu did not do. I can't do what HaKadosh Baruch Hu told me to do, but didn't do. Didn't do it. And, and so Amalek became a dilemma in the hands of Shaul HaMelech. Look, Shaul HaMelech had to own up to his own situation, but but what he left us with, what he left us with is this kind of dilemma. We are obliged to Rachamim. Why are we obliged to Rachamim? Because we exist because of divine mercy. Otherwise, we wouldn't we wouldn't exist. And so Shaul HaMelech said, we can't do it. We can't solve this problem of can we be like God in this case or not. We can't solve that problem. We don't know the resolution of that problem. And so in the parasha, which starts with the word Zachor, remember as though there's no problem, remembering is not a problem. Zachor, that it says, like you'll have the opportunity, eventually Amalek will disappear. No one will know at Amalekite. That's the promised world, and you have to continue to remember that there was once an Amalek, and Amalek did terrible things to the Jewish people, and therefore you have to remember that there can be people who deserve to be punished. But you still have to decide, you, the Jewish people, you have to decide. You have to decide. Which is more important, the mercy or the punishment? And we know that Jews traditionally found it difficult to carry out punishment. And I think that the story of Amalek is a story that makes sense. Also, the story of Purim is a story that finds us caught up caught up between avoiding our you know not being part of the world that is uh, so difficult getting involved getting involved in as Mordechai was Mordechai and Esther became involved in running the world which which changed their devotion 
the Talmud Torah made them less receptive, less responsive, less connected to the to the Talmud Torah. We remember that Rashi at Chatzia Malchut, where Rashi says, Mordechai and Esther were not just talking about saving the Jews, the Jews who were in Persia, but they wanted to save the Jews of the world in order to do that, that they rebuild the Beit HaMikdash. And when the Chachamim said, the last, the last the source, I think, I've said on different occasions that this idea that there are krachim, that there are cities that at the time of Yoshua Binun. At the time of Yeshua Ben Nun, had walls around them, and those cities remain or became a separate entity, a separate entity. That was because, just as Rashi says, Mordechai and Esther wanted to rebuild the Beit Hamikdash. When they decided about Purim, they said Purim has to become a city centered in our aspirations in Eretz Israel, and not simply a celebration of a victory. And that's why they said, uh, this is like a longer story, but it was Amukafim Choma Meyemot Yoshua Binun. That's Eretz Israel. That puts Eretz Israel at the center of the story of Purim. Yes, there was a battle, and yes, there was a victory. Yes, but everything has to have a purpose. And we have to understand the purpose, and that's the story that we have to tell on Purim. And that's the story that we have to tell. That's the story that we have to tell on every so every time we look back on history, we have to say to ourselves, what was the point? And where were we going? And have we reached that goal or are we still moving along? So these cities, these walled cities in Eretz Yisrael, over which there is only, basically, there's only Yerushalayim, although there may be some other cities, someplace that fall into that category, but Yerushalayim is the city of Jews. Everybody in Yerushalayim celebrates Purim on, a, on the 15th, not on the 14th. So that puts Eretz Yisrael in the center of things. Because Yerushalayim is the center of things. It means that, yes, the war was a war, and the battle was a battle, and the victory was a victory, but you have to remember that it all had its purpose. And its purpose is very special. All the best. Have a wonderful Purim. Be well.
Hello.